in Tennessee together. And some of the subjects that we've been able to talk about are like young King Joash coming up at seven years old, right? To be a young king of Israel in the time where sons were being killed everywhere. We have others who are like other subjects like Ahab and Jezebel. Has that been an interesting subject to go through? That's been exciting to get to see what Ahab or Jezebel like characteristics that we have had to be redeemed from within our own lives. Y'all aren't exempt from those characteristics, are you? No, there's an entire theological movement that would say that somehow at your acceptance of Christ, you were completely delivered from your ability to sin like that. We're not so easily fooled. We do not consider ourselves um, as... The Apostle Paul says, arrived anywhere, but we are absolutely growing together, right? Yeah. Amen. Well, last week's message was clarifying the call. Pastor Devin and Dylan did an amazing job, did they not? Facts. Facts. Acts chapter 2, verse 37, they read, says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? That is the attitude that we are continuing in today, and that was one that seriously moved my heart last week. Another verse that they shared was Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. It says, whatever you have learned or received from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Receiving the anointing, opening the door, and stepping into the threshold and taking off running was the message and the attitude that we took away from last week. Amen? We're continuing in that today. Today's message is titled, A Kingly Stat- uh, Stature. Come and see. A Kingly Stature. Now, there's an attitude, there's a posture, there is a body language, there's a way of life that we live. That whenever we're talking about future kings as we have been since our conference in October. Whenever we're talking about being future kings, when we look at the young men in the room and we consider our own lives and others, brothers' lives around us, and we see families that are forming, we see friendships and ministry partnerships that are forming, we see covenants that are forming between families for the, for the sake of the gospel to move forward in other lands. There's an attitude that I'm recognizing whenever I look at the scriptures that says, I must live this way. Now, not to uh, embarrass a brother who I'm growing really fond of, but somebody who I really think of whenever I think of this message today is somebody like Charlie over here. I see a man who has been fed up with the ways of this world. He's fed up with the sin in his own life. And he comes in to a company of people and he's like, I don't want anything less than to fully give my life and my family's life to the gospel. It's the attitude that we have to live in today. And there's, there's, there was a message that Pastor Mike, Pastor Devin and I preached about a year and a half ago now. In um, June of 2022. And it was called Gravitas. Do you all remember that? 
we wore weighted vests. Like in a, we were in a CrossFit gym when we were preaching it. We were, waiting, we were wearing weighted vests and preaching on how gravitas, which, is, which was a word describing an authority or a presence that comes. It's like a gravitational field almost. There is a stature that kings within Christ's kingdom have about them that just makes you know that there's something about them. There's a Holy Spirit that is empowering them to do a work that others aren't entirely aware of. Today, my goal is to call you up, call you out and forward into the very things you've felt yourself piddling in for weeks, months, or even years. There's an invitation going out over this land and throughout this church today that every damned and demonic thing that has been holding you back is no longer going to be holding you back. Because every one of these damned and demonic things are proudly raising their heads up in our world today. It's no longer a conversation of, oh, well, in an American culture, in an American gospel Church, there were over one and a half million people standing in Istanbul, Turkey, unified under an attitude that was contrary to what their government had even put out. And their mentality that they were unified around was death to Israel. Now, this is not a new thing. This isn't a new issue in the world today. But the point is, is that all of these wicked things, people who are sick, who are tired, who are poor, who don't get enough sleep, are overworked and underpaid, their evil inclinations are giving them enough authority and giving them enough energy to stand up and be who they think they're supposed to be, but we know they're not supposed to be. So what about us? What is it about us where we have the audacity to say, but Lord, I'm tired, but Lord, I'm sick. I don't have enough money. I'm not talented enough. I'm not skilled enough. My family's too far gone. My marriage is too messed up. My past is too broken. And there's an entire movement of people, not just in the one that I reference, but in this country and in every country of this planet, where it seems like evil doesn't believe that it has a capacity. But the people of God will come together and say, I just don't know if we can do it. Isn't that crazy? Now, there, there's a different move going on here in Denton, Texas. We call it Remnant Church. Where we are at least a people who understand that we are absolutely limited in our fleshly abilities. But at the end of the day, we understand that the God who abides in our hearts, who we have given full authority in our lives to, empowers us to do anything and everything that he puts us on mission for. There is a serious issue in this church. Your enemies are more determined than you are most days. Chaos, disorder, darkness, hate, witchcraft, and perversion are all producing more determined men and women in our societies and cultures than most churches are. We have, we didn't get in arguments about doctrine. We get in arguments about whether or not you can speak in tongues or whether or not people actually get healed. 
And those are worthy things to talk about. But at the end of the day, look at the kind of men that are coming out of the communities that you're in. Are they perverted? Are they defiled? Are they weak? Are they sissies? Do they crumble under pressure? Do they have a sense of ownership or do they dismiss ownership? What is it? Well, there was a... Uh, I'm always, I'm always encouraged by um, the community that God's brought around here. My wife and I have always seemed to have a lot of the single women either live in our homes or be very close with us in discipleship and things like that. And I was really encouraged by one who came around recently and said, you know, I've been waiting a long time for a husband, but I'm willing to wait longer if I get a husband that's the kind of man that I see come up in a one association church because everywhere I look I don't see real men being raised up now we're not the only ones doing it but there are so few in this world who are doing it that it's hard to find there are a lot of people who say that they are zealous for Christ and for his kingdom there are a lot of people who say that they are devoted there are a lot of people who say I will do anything but we're looking for the men who have the stature of a king, like our king Yeshua, who did not back down no matter the circumstances that he went through. All of our past messages of late have been the Lord clarifying to us what kind of men we ought to be, what kind of call it is that we carry, and how to conduct our lives in power and in deep conviction according to his spoken and written word. And Jesus' revelation to the seven churches, what was it that he had against the church in Thyatira? Y'all look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. Pastor Mike read this to you a few weeks ago. And here is the answer to a lot of our issues that we have going on today. He did a phenomenal job of explaining this to you. Now, I'm just going to come in and See if we can't get all moved together more on the subject. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. Are y'all there? Yes. Yeah. Say stature if you're there. Stature. It says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this, Before we go any further, you meet a man who looks at you and he's got fire in his eyes and there's something in there that you're like, I don't want to mess with this guy. I, I want to be on his team. And he is so stout that his feet are like bronze. Think about the weightiness of that. Literally, there's a stature of King Jesus that we are going for here. He says, I know your deeds. I know your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. That is a great encouragement to a body of, of Christ. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my people astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. You tolerate. It's a matter of toleration. Oh, he, he's the, Jesus is not speaking to the church in Thyatira. Well, you guys lost the battle. You might as well quit. You're all heretics. You're losers. Get out of here. He did not say that. He said, 
I have this against you that in the midst of you being faithful in so many ways, you are tolerating wicked, wicked behavior. It continues in verse 21. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest of you who are in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them, I place no other burden on you. He says, nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes, remember that today as we go through some other passages. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So church, ultimately, the toleration of Jezebel is by definition, or is rather wrapped up in the name Ahab, who... What other person would you describe as one who ultimately tolerated Jezebel and all of her wicked behaviors? It was her weak husband who tolerated all sorts of demonic activity. If Jezebel is allowed and developed by Ahab type of men, then we then when we are frustrated about a Jezebel-like nature in our families or in our churches, what then should we really be looking for? We can sit here and go, oh, Jezebel spirit, Jezebel spirit. You know how many people I have heard talk about a Jezebel spirit and they themselves are Ahab-like men? Oh, that church got that Jezebel spirit in it. Yeah, you, you built that culture, Bubba. 20 years you were at that church. If what they tolerated, it was that they tolerated Jezebel. It wasn't that Jezebel was coming against them. Jezebel's spirit, Jezebel's nature is always coming against God and his people. Always. The fact that she's present it could be the verification that you're a real church. But whether or not she's tolerated in your community will define as to whether or not she's there because she's trying to kill you or she's there because you invited her there. Men, we determine in our character, in our stature, whether or not that Jezebel spirit is welcome, and that's why it's there, or whether or not she is on edge and at war against our families because we are standing ground, because as Jesus himself said to Thyatira, because we are those who overcome and we are those who keep his deeds until the very end. It says that to those Christ will give authority over the nations. Now, if we're talking about Ahab today, if we're talking about, the, about 
about a character and about a type of man that tolerates a Jezebel spirit within a community or within a family, within a house, then we ought to probably look into to, to a few characteristics of Ahab himself. Amen? Yeah. Are y'all still with me? Yeah. We're going to look at seven characteristics today of Ahab, and then we're going to end with some pretty cool stuff that the Lord revealed to me this week at the same time. The number one characteristic that we're going to look at today, for, especially for the note takers in the room, is fear. It's the number one characteristic of a man who is struggling in his Ahab type of characteristics. The first one is fear. Y'all turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to look at an example of how King David himself would not tolerate that kind of behavior or that attitude within his own life. What does this fear look like? This fear looks like constantly hiding or afraid. It looks like fear of men, fear of what everybody thinks about you all the time. Or men hiding in their castles. Let me tell you, pastors and preachers are not exempt from these characteristics. I have never been exempt from these characteristics. And what we can do is we can build up environments called castles for ourselves within God's kingdom, bury ourselves in the middle of them and hope that nobody looks at our insecurities and our weaknesses anymore. This is an Ahab type of characteristic, and it invites a toleration of Jezebel within that community. 1 Samuel 17, verse 10 says, And the Philistine said, this is Goliath, for those who don't know, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Can I tell you that even the enemies of God are looking for real men among the people who claim to be God's people? Even they have a hard time finding them. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. The defining characteristic of King Shaul or Saul that, brought, that made him stick out to the people of Israel was that he was tall and he was strong and he was intimidating. These are the same characteristics of the man that now he and all of his army are afraid of. He is tall, he is strong, and he's intimidating. Fast forward down to verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because this man, Goliath. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Young David coming up ready to fight the Lord's battles. What happens in these cases, though? And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war since his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when, and when there came a lion or a bear, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and delivered him from his mouth. Wow. All it took was one of these violent predator creatures to come around. And David's like, this isn't new to me. 
I saw lions and bears come and try to snatch a flock that wasn't even mine. It was my father's, and I didn't put up with it. You think I'm going to put up with this today? He says, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. David was out there pimp slapping bears in a field. And he said, stand up at me again. He's like, and if the bear stood up again, he's like, I'll kill you. Like, I don't want to. I, I'm, I'm okay with you. Like, just give me my sheep back. You go on your way, we're going to go on this way. But if one of those creatures came up against him, he said, I grabbed him by the face and would kill him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, the Lord be with you. David, unlike Ahab, is not fearful of either his enemies nor the people who claim to be his friends who tell him that he's not good enough for the task. He looks at an enemy. He sees that men of God are doing nothing about it. And he says, I believe that if my God is with me the way that he's been with me every moment before, send me, I will go. I will do it. But what, do, what, but what does an Ahab type of king do? He doesn't want to be bested by anybody. So what he does is he makes sure that the young men around him can't go any further than he is going and says, you stop right where you're at. If I'm scared of him, you should be scared of him too. See, this is how we make perpetual Ahab type of men in communities because men like that are sitting on thrones, which they shouldn't have a throne in their church in the first place. They're a pastor. And they're perpetuating this behavior among young men that says, you can't do it. You're not strong. No. Let me tell you, this is extremely different from fathers who love you and say, hey, I'll take care of this one today. We're going to train and make sure you're ready for this one tomorrow. That's much different than what we're talking about here. And there are plenty of people getting offended, feeling like they're held back in God's kingdom. And it's not the case. That also has a lot to do with fear of man. See, in David and in you today, we have to have a mentality and a stature that says, I might look small, I might not look like much, but whenever somebody is standing up against my God and against his people, I will not let this go any further. Send me, I will go and do it. David later on even takes off Saul's armor where Saul, still so much so, did not believe in David's ability. He's like, okay, I have no idea how you're going to pull this off. At least put on my armor on you. At least take my weapon because then maybe you'll stand a chance. It's still all about me, my armor, my weapons, my name, my everything. Just take my stuff and maybe you'll stand a chance. It's really convenient for the king that's not using this stuff at all in the first place. Church, we are those who are not controlled by fear. 
we must be men who are not controlled by fear like Ahab because that is a toleration of Jezebel. Can we move on to a second one? The second one is entitlement. Say entitlement. (laughs) Second Samuel chapter 24. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 24. When you get there, look at verse 18 and say kingly stature when you get there. What is entitlement? Entitlement can sound like you're spoiled. That you don't feel like there's any, any way that you need to prove yourself. Now, we are not talking about proving ourselves to each other in the sense of earning our love from one another. We love each other and we place a fixed value as brothers and sisters in God's kingdom on each other. But whenever it comes down to carrying authority, gravitas in God's kingdom and leading his people, there is something important about making sure that one, God has spoken to you and two, you are being obedient and stepping up into these things. Because with entitlement comes self-indulgence. If I want it, I'll get it. Like, if I want it, then it must be due to me. If I want it, then it must just fall into my lap. And I don't understand how other people are getting it, and it's just not fair. It's just not fair. Think about what Ahab and Jezebel did to Naboth. Well, in David's life, and We see it in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 18. I love this. It says, And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. So David went up at Gad's word as the Lord commanded. And when Aruna looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Aruna went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. And Aruna said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said, to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Aruna said to David, let my my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yoke of oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Aruna gives to you. King, And Aruna said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. Wow, what an opportunity of generosity. We, as ministers and as leaders in churches, we get this stuff all the time. Hey, just let, let me pay the whole way for this. Let, let, let me just make this easy for everybody. But this attitude that we pull from and these opportunities to be able to discern generosity from a moment where we might be missing something ourselves as men, is David's heart right here. It says, but the king said to Aruna, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. There are so many other cool things we don't have time for today and 50 shekels of silver, but go on that treasure hunt. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea for the land and the plague was averted from Israel. Church, this plague 
that was on Israel was because of poor leadership from David himself. It wasn't a random plague that had come about. He had taken a census to count up the numbers of people that he had in a time when God was saying, David, just trust me. And he's like, I hear you, Lord, but let me double check. Well, in a moment like this, David has an opportunity to, he got into his consequences in his mind for free. So now he has an opportunity to get out of his consequences also for free. But he's not an entitled king. David, who was not filled with a spirit of entitlement, did not take even an opportunity of genuine generosity as an excuse to miss the opportunity to get to pay full price for something. Church, Ahab does not look for opportunities to pay full price. Ahab is looking for free giveouts. Ahab is looking for the opportunities to get the blessings of God and to catch God's ear, but not have to do anything in the process. See, God in his gracious nature oftentimes will still get, lend us his ear, even when we've been wicked. But as men, it changes the attitude of our relationship. Are we those who expect his ear for free? Are we those who expect his favor just because? Or are we men who want to pay full price? Full price. We are full price kind of men. Come on. Come on, Wesley. Number three today is victimization. Our number three characteristic of Ahab today is victimization. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 12 with me. And look at verse 1 when you get there. Now, victimization within a King Ahab type of characteristic is that of like, you are the problem, I'm the victim. Like, or this is just the way that it is, and woe is me, I don't know what to do to get out of it. This is the characteristic that God has had to help me so much to be delivered from. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1 says, And the Lord sent Nathan, who was a prophet, to David. And he came to him and said, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had bought and he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel of food and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger <clears throat> was greatly kindled against the man in the story. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because of this thing that he did and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are this man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife. 
and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. It goes on to say in verse 11, thus says the Lord, because behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And they will lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, David, but I will do this thing before all of Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to, and Nathan said to David, this is beautiful. The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Let me tell you what a heart that is not a victimized heart does. It takes ownership in the moment for the consequences and the sin that you have produced. And it comes before God and says, I have sinned before God. What does the prophet say? The prophet doesn't say, too late, buddy. God hates you. Bye. Looks like you just lost your kingship. No. He says, God himself has dismissed the sin. You will not die. Yet, we see in this story consequences that come. And even in the midst of those consequences, David, we find after a miscarriage of the child that was produced from this sexual affair, the child that was produced from it dies. And David, he is heartbroken for a moment. He mourns for a moment, but then he gets up and he anoints himself with oil and goes and worships Adonai, the Lord his God, before all the assembly of the people and says, why would I fast? Why would I mourn now? The child is gone and there's nothing I can do about that. But what I can do today is glorify my God before all people. Come on, church. When we are not acting as victims like Ahab, then we don't tolerate spirits like Jezebel. We don't find witchcraft in our churches because we're not looking to blame shift. Witchcraft is produced in churches whenever men are so busy pointing at each other for fault finding that they can't ever take ownership in themselves. Men who have self-awareness of their own poor character are the same men who spot witchcraft from a mile away. And it's because they don't tolerate it in themselves. Whenever we as men and women of God do not tolerate these characteristics within ourselves, then we will spot it the second it walks through a door. Amen? That helps protect our churches. That helps protect our community. And we can even see other people redeemed from these things as I have had to be redeemed from these things. As many of you have been, had to be redeemed from these characteristics. The fourth one I want us to look at is flattery. Say flattery. Look at Psalm chapter 12, verse 1. Flattery in a man like King Ahab looks like he loves to be mothered but not really fathered. He wants a lot of very, uh, you know, affectionate pats on the back but also doesn't want the correction that comes with it. Men who live in a life of flattery where they... Earn, they feel like they earn things by flattery or they feel like they purchase things with flattery or flattery works on them. They like wives to take care of them like mothers. They're also su oftentimes susceptible to the seduction of flattery. If you find yourself easily seduced by flattery, someone coming up and working the eyebrows at you, saying a lot of really great things about you. They think really highly of you, and they're 
They're getting you in, in the feels about yourself. If you are passive enough and you carry this characteristic, then Jezebel shows up because that is an opportune time for her to take over your life and over your whole household. Psalm chapter 12, verse 1 says, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases to be. Wow, David was struggling with the same thing. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak falsehood to one another. With flattering lips and with a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that speaks great things. Who have said with our tongue we will prevail? Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Because of the devastation of the afflicted, because of the groaning of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in safety for which he longs. Church, the characteristics of flattery in a man like Ahab produces a Jezebel that is now tolerated in a community that through flattery is constantly pushing men down. Say, oh, no, honey, you don't have to worry about that. Hey, you know what? I still, I, I, I still think you're doing a great job. Why don't you just move on back home? You can compromise. That's okay. You're still doing great. It's okay. Hey, we'll, we'll get through it. We're not, talking, we're not talking about encouragement here. We're talking about flattery that leads to sin and sin that is perpetuated in young men, keeping them from having the stature and the gravitas of a king that can lead God's people and families and be a good husband that loves his wife. Those characteristics are smushed down to the earth into Sheol by a Jezebel that's tolerated because men love flattery. But unlike David and his God, our God, in Psalm chapter 12, we seek for flattery to be cut off. In fact, as a church, we are aiming, even today, as we said a few weeks ago, to speak highly of one another in genuine prophetic encouragement. Say, no, I really do believe in my heart that this is the kind of man that God's made you. Joe, this is actually what God says about you. Charlie, this is what God actually says about you. Darren, this is actually what God says about you. I've prayed for you this week, and this is an encouragement from the throne of God itself. God loves you, and I love you, and we're proud of you, and I'm proud to call you my brother. That's encouragement in the house of God. We're not seeking to flatter, though. Amen? Another one is emotionalism. Say emotionalism. Emotionalism, emotionalism loves to use emotion to manipulate others. It also looks like strategical emotions. Look at Psalm chapter 56, verse 8 when you get there. Emotionalism. This looks like living based on feelings. That the, that the fuel in your tank, so to say, is how you feel about something rather than what King David Moved by the Spirit of God, says here in Psalm 56, verse 8. It says, you have kept count of my tossings. Think about like tossing over in bed in distress. You're, I know there were some people last night in their sickness. They, they couldn't get a few hours of sleep strung together and they came in tired today. You have kept count of my tossings. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. 
in God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Emotionalism says, I'm not feeling it yet. I'm not ready to praise God yet. I'm not ready to acknowledge his goodness yet. I'm not ready to change my behavior and be obedient to the words of God yet because I don't feel like it yet. Emotionalism lives not under the governance of God's law and his word and his kingship. It lives under the governance and the limitations of our feelings. Now, this might sound like something that we very maliciously throw at somebody else as an accusation. But how often in your own lives, consider, do you feel limited by your own emotions? Do you understand? Yeah. Like even with our physical stuff, I was teasing with, uh, with Allie this morning. I came over, she, she was looking a little physically ill, and I looked at her, and she's like, what? <laughs> like, I'm just making sure there's life in there right now. She's like, oh, no, there's life in here right now. I'm like, no, I can see it. Like, uh, um, that's awesome. It's like, for some reason, we have this habit, even as men and women filled with the spirit of God, as one of our flesh, one of our physical bodies starts to decay, we might, we just say, we'll throw our spirit man out with it. It's like, I'm feeling sick today. Therefore, I must act like a carnal baby too. Isn't that silly? It's crazy. We're much better than this. But that is an Ahab-type characteristic that a Jezebel spirit that can be tolerated in the church is looking for. Is looking for not where the spirit of God is looking to and fro throughout the earth for a heart that is holy and truly his. Jezebel's looking for a man who's led by his emotions. He's like, oh, yeah. The word of God isn't law over this man's life his own feelings are i can get a hold of him i can move on his heart but church we as men and women here in this room are those who are coming out of being led by our emotions and say i am broken in spirit today i'm discouraged and we're not talking about deleting emotions we're saying I'm discouraged today. I'm hurting today. My body aches. My bank account is empty. I'm discouraged. I don't know what else to do, but my God is faithful. What can man do to me? What should I fear in the face of my God's faithfulness? I will stand up and I will pay my vows to my God. And no one can stop me, not even my own sick flesh. Come on. God's building up a strong kingship in this church. He's, and by King Jesus' characteristics, he is imparting these characteristics into each one of us that we can walk in his stature just like him. We got two left here for you. Next one is manipulation. That'll be a fun one. Look at 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 6. Manipulation looks like being insecure. So then that flattery that we talked about earlier builds up your ego. It looks like 
somebody that lives for the approval of others. It's that fear of man that we talked about earlier. Sometimes these things overlap with each other, church, but you have to understand the implications of what this looks like in our own lives, not in somebody else's life, your own life, my own life. Manipulation looks like living your life and making decisions to make other people happy or comfortable with your life. Second Samuel chapter 6, verse 16, are you there? It says, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. That's a really good opportunity to be like, oh, honey, like, I'm sorry I didn't mean to embarrass you. Like, I, I, I promise I won't do it again. Like, I'll find some other way that's not offensive to you. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Have we ever done that with our wives, men? It's like, oh, I... I I'm sorry, like that was maybe too much for you right now. They brought the ark of the Lord. I was waiting for some honest men to speak up, but I have, I have done this. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his own household, <laughs> wow, man, I just want you to learn right now, as you are serving Jesus more and more and more, you will not only worship the Lord your God before an altar and even make a fool of yourself at times. You will serve people food and you will take care of people every waking hour of the day to come home and finally give the best that you reserved for your wife and for your children. But sometimes this happens. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Going around half naked in view of all the slave girls, of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. <laughs> David said to Michal, it was before the Lord <laughs> who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord, period. End of sentence, conversation over. I'm telling y'all, like, this stuff can come up. It's come up in our own marriage. Sometimes I, it depends on the day one of us was criticizing the other. But ultimately, no one is exempt from this stuff. I'm telling you, you can have a family that is striving for godliness and still have this stuff happening in it. It matters as to whether or not you handle it correctly. David was not a man who lived by manipulation or the need to please his own wife's opinions or anybody else's opinions. And so then, therefore, he was able to say, I will celebrate before the Lord, period. I will become even more undignified than this. You don't like that? I'll double that measure. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. You're worried about me being humiliating in your eyes. I'll humiliate myself in my own eyes. See if I care. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Now, this is a, this is a big intermarriage debate that we're talking about here. But at the end of the day, church, David is making a stance that 
He's saying, Mikael, I will not compromise the praise that I have for my God. The devotion and the zeal that I have for my God, I will not cut it down to size to make you feel comfortable with it, but I will absolutely invite you to come and live this way with me. That is a, that is a great way to lead your wife, men of God. The last one here is perversion. Say perversion. We're going to look at this one together in Psalm 101, and then we're going to end with some really exciting, victorious notes about how we're going to move forward as a church. Perversion, Psalm 101, verse 1. Perversion, what does this look like? Easily taken by pleasure and desires being fulfilled. It's a man who is easily taken by pleasure, any type of pleasure, and desires being fulfilled regularly. Needs to be a man who is a man who is maintaining any perversion in his life must be cautious of witchcraft that comes through sexuality. This is not something that we're like struggling through and we get out of. You amputate this stuff or you're keeping it. There's not really much of a middle ground there. You either, Charlie's agreeing with, like, you amputate this stuff or you are the one that's keeping it around. Perversion is a characteristic of Ahab that invites a Jezebel destructive spirit into your family, home, or church. Psalm 101 says, I will sing of loving kindness and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praises. I will give heed to the blameless way. When will you come to me? I will walk within my house and the integrity of my heart. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. A perverse heart shall depart from me in the name of Jesus right now. I will know no evil. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. No one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. My eyes shall be upon the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. He who practices deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who speaks falsehood shall not maintain his position or stature before me. Every morning I will destroy all of the wicked of the land so as to cut off from the city of the Lord all those who do iniquity or live in perversion. Church, an Ahab type of kingship is perverse. We miss things as men and leaders in our homes, as husbands, as pastors, as anything whatever authority that God's given us to walk in in our lives. We miss things. We're not paying attention because we're so busy having our, what we feel like our needs satisfied, but really their desires. The Apostle James wrote clearly on it that we are dragged away in our sin because we have sinful desires that we are allowing to abide within us. And then like a treble hook on a fish, on a fishing line, it takes a hold of you and you can't even hardly help yourself. You are getting dragged away by your sinful desires. It's time to cut bait. Today, it's time to cut bait. 
you take, you take out your knife, you cut that line that you're getting dragged with because I promise you it is more painful where you're going than it is to cut bait right now and then just take the wound that you have at the moment. Church, Ahab-type leaders invite Jezebels in their life, and we won't tolerate in this church, and we won't tolerate it in any of our homes because as men of God, we are not living in perversion. We will not accept it. I will set no unclean thing before my eyes. Hear me, young, young men. This is what the apostle said. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. You have to understand what that means. The lust of the flesh is that, that strong feeling in you like you have to do something to fulfill this desire and there's no saying no to it within yourself. The lust of the eyes says, if I can see it and I want it, then I should have it. Neither are appropriate for men of God. And King David himself had to repent from these types of behaviors at points in his life. But it wasn't a matter of whether or not he had a perfect record. It mattered as to whether or not he lived a life of repentance that accepted correction, cut bait, and then ran after God's throne. Men, can we agree today that these are the types of men that we are? We are the men who are cutting these things off and running after his throne in humility, but also in a strength and an authority as future kings who are leading with Christ among his people. He's entrusted wives to you. He's, he's a wife to you. To, I'm speaking plurally to everybody in the room. We don't, we don't do that Mormon stuff around here. He's entrusted a wife, one, to you. Maybe, if you're at that point in life yet. He's entrusted children to you, or he's entrusted friends and brothers and sisters in your life. We have to be those who do not accept these things in our own lives. Otherwise, we will tolerate it in their lives as well. And then all of a sudden, we will be found people who are really genuinely trying to serve Jesus, like the church of Thyatira, but then at the same time convicted before God for tolerating Jezebel's spirit. I am super proud of the way that we are moving out of these things. And ultimately, church, we have to have this idea. This is a kingly stature that Paul himself says in Galatians chapter 1. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of God, by the grace of Christ, for a different gospel, which is really not another gospel. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that was first preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you first received, he is to be cursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. We so desperately need a few brave men in this generation who will be strong and brave enough to do in private what they also proclaim in public. Understand what you have signed up for, men. If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant for Christ. Paul considered it completely opposite things. You cannot be a man-pleaser and a God-pleaser at the same time. It's impossible. 
There are times where other men of God will be proud with you and will be pleased with your faithfulness towards your God and towards one another. But compromising to please other people around you has never been the attitude. Kings who understand whose authority they are ultimately under, who is our one and only true God, have no concern for pleasing all of these other people. We say, I am here to please my God and build up his body here on the earth. And if by way of building up his body here on earth, it is pleasing to the people around me, then amen. I'm so happy for that. But that's not my first thing that I'm focused on. My focus isn't to make everybody happy with me at the end of the day. My focus is to live a life holy and consecrated to my God so as to stir up other men around me to live that way for him as well. Listen to what Martin Luther King Jr. once said. He said, courage is an, courage is an inner resolution to go forward despite obstacles. Cowardice is submissive surrender to circumstances. Cowardice is submissive surrender to circumstances. Courage breeds creativity. <laughs> you find a lot of ways out of difficult situations whenever you're actually acting in courage. Cowardice represses fear and is mastered by it. Cowardice asks the question, is it safe? Expediency asks the question, is it politic? Politic? Vanity asks the question, is it popular? But conscience or in our case, which he was a reverend, Martin Luther King Jr., he'd be saying the same thing. But Holy Spirit asks you within you, is it right? Is it righteous? That's the only question to be answered at the end of the day. It's also said of C.T. Studd, difficulties, dangers, disease, death, or divisions don't deter any but chocolates from executing God's will. When someone says there's a lion in the way, the real Christian replies promptly. That's hardly enough inducement for me. I want a bear or two besides that lion to make it worth my while to get up. <laughs> Chocolates are very fond of talking loud and long against some whom they call fanatics, as though they were any danger of Christians being fanatics nowadays anyways. Why? Fanatics among Christians are as rare as the dodo bird. This guy's a comedian. Now, if they declaimed against tepidity, they would talk sense. God's real people have always been called fanatics. Jesus was called mad. So was Paul. So was Whitfield. So was Wesley, Moody, Spurgeon, and so on. No one has graduated far in God's school who has not been paid the compliment of being called a fanatic. We Christians of today are indeed a tepid crew. He had, had we but half the fire and enthusiasm of the suffragettes in the past, we would have the world evangelized and Christ back among us in no time. Had we, had we the pluck and heroism of the flyers or the men who volunteered for the North or South Polar Expeditions, or for the Great War, or for any ordinary daredevil enterprise, we could have every soul on earth knowing the name and salvation of Jesus Christ in less than 10 years. Listen, church, we, we're going to be those men who are calling us to a lifestyle that is maybe annoying to some people. You might not even like how long the message is going today. I didn't ask you. 
That's okay. You're, you're going to go on with your day after this anyways. We're all going to enjoy food and fellowship and having fun together the rest of the day. I'm not concerned. What I'm concerned with is the character of our King Yeshua and being implanted in kingdom men like ourselves in this room where we have the strength and the fortitude to get up and be men of God, not just for one day, but every day. Second Kings chapter 10. We ain't going to read all this. But I want you to see something. Look at Second Kings chapter 10 and say kingly stature when you get there. So you guys are now familiar, I hope, we've preached on it for weeks now, of Jehu being anointed king. My brothers last week preached and taught on this again. That Jehu was anointed as a king, especially for the purpose of destroying Ahab and all of his household out of the land of Israel. Do you remember this? Hello? Amen. If you look at verse, we're going to skip around some. In verse 1, now Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria, and Jehu wrote letters and sent them to Samaria to the rulers of Jezreel, <laughs> the elders and to the guardians of the children of Ahab. This man is really making sure to eliminate Ahab type of characteristics out of his community. He says, now, when this letter comes to you, since your master's sons are with you, as well as the chariots and horses and a fortified city and weapons, Select the best and fittest of your master's sons and set him on his, on his father's throne and fight for your master's house. A man like Jehu says, literally put your strongest and best in front of me and I am going to steamroll them in the name of Jesus. They don't stand a chance. There's an attitude and a strength that's not foolish. He has been prophesied to by the Spirit of God, and he says nothing stands a chance. My God's word is that true. Skip down to verse 8. At this point, church, the leaders that he wrote those letters to did not put those young men on their thrones. What they did is they killed all of them, and they chopped off all of their heads. And they sent them in baskets to Jehu where he was staying at. Yeah, they didn't want to mess with Jehu. They're like, the stature of this man is more intimidating than the cowardly Ahab leadership that I'm dealing with. I would rather, I would rather be with the man who's a little scary but is clearly on God's side than these weak cowards who also threaten the same things, but I can tell that God's not with them. I'd rather be with the scary godly guy than a scary evil guy. He says in verse 8, When the messenger came and told him, saying, They have brought you the heads of the king's sons, he said, Put them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate until morning. Now in the morning he went out and stood and said to all the people, You are innocent. Behold, I conspired against my master and killed him. But who killed all of these? Church, I want you to pay attention. I don't want us to miss this. He said, I made this conspiracy, and really the Holy Spirit did, but I did this conspiracy against Ahab. But who killed all of his sons? Whenever you have men with a kingly stature like Jehu who dare to come against Ahab and Jezebel, 
they inspire other men of God who are abusing their leaderships under Ahab to also get rid of the sons of Ahab in the land. He said, who killed these? They were the compromised leaders. Listen, we can talk poorly and, and rightfully so about many compromised church leaders in our land. What if they start giving up the Ahab spirit in their churches and they start getting on with Jehu? Because that's exactly what we see here. It says in verse 10, Know then that there shall fall to the earth nothing of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord has done what he spoke through his servant Elijah. So Jehu killed all who remained of the house of Ahab in Jezreel and all his great men and his acquaintances and his priests until he left them without a survivor. It goes on to say in verse 15, Now when he had departed from there, after, he had, after Jehu had done all of this, and at this point even compromised leaders in Israel are being obedient to the word of the Lord. Verse 15, he says, Now when he had departed from there, he met a man named Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he greeted him and said to him, Is your heart right as my heart is with your heart? <laughs> and Jehonadab answered, It is. It's really interesting whenever a man of kingly stature like Jehu is standing in a chariot having actually been destroying the enemies of God. And he looks over and he's seen many men, but he notices one man. And he says, are our hearts on the same page? And the man simply says, yes. I love this. It says, come with me and see my zeal for my God. So he made him ride in his chariot. When he came to Samaria, he killed all who remained to Ahab in Samaria until he had destroyed him, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke, which the Lord spoke to Elijah. Church, Jehonadab is a character in this story that not many of us have noticed. There's something so special about him. Of all of the people there, he was a Gentile. He was of, at least of Gentile descendants. He was standing among God's people. We'll save the teaching on the generations of his family for another time. But I want you to understand just how seriously God takes Jehonadab, who was not the shining light of the story like Jehu, but was a man who said, I went in on this. And Jehu says, get in the chariot, let's go. Get in the truck. I have one last passage for you to look at today, and we're going to close. Look at Jeremiah chapter 35. Look at verse 12 when you get there. Verse 12 in Jeremiah 35 says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying... 
<clears throat> Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and say to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction by listening to my words, declares the Lord. Remnant Church, have you not heard from many of us that we are in times like that of Jeremiah, where men have rejected the instruction and the correction and the counsel of God? Well, then understand what's going on in this moment and understand how important it is to be like Jonadab. It says, will you receive my instruction by listening to my words, declares the Lord? The words of Jonadab, the son of Rahab, interesting, we just read about him, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine are observed. So they do not drink wine, even to this day, for they have obeyed their father's command. But I have spoken to you again and again and again, yet you have not listened to me. God says through Jeremiah, I've sent you prophets, I've sent you priests, I've sent you champions, I've sent you kings, I've sent you all sorts of people, but you would not listen to me. Look at verse 18. Then Jeremiah said to the house of the Rehabites, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Because you have obeyed the command of Jonadab, your father, and kept all his commands, and done according to all that Jonadab has commanded you. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the Lord God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me always. Amen. He was a, of Gentile descendants. He was standing there so at the ready in a stature that... I've heard Pastor Mike say before, it must be a, a thing that the people he comes from say. He said, game recognizes game, right? And he's like, I see that. King Jehu is like, no, 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 I see myself in this right here. Get in my chariot, let's go. And they go and they accomplish these things together. There is not a day for all of Jonadab's generations that that there will not be one of them standing before God in his presence. Do you want that for your family? Yeah. Church, you might not be King David in the story. You might not be King Jehu. I, I, I don't know. Let the Lord artistically show you <laughs> these things. But I know we can all fit in with Jonadab. Somebody who didn't really have much of a name, didn't have much to offer, other than our willing hearts and a man who led his family so well that even in something that was not the law of the Lord, it was just the law of Jonadab to his sons and daughters and to their generations. I'm telling you guys, even in the days of Yeshua, they still only slept in tents, not in buildings made of stone and did not drink alcohol just because that's what Jonadab said. They had a family identity among each other that wasn't even particularly Torah. But God said, I can work with a man who knows how to lead his family. I can work with a man who has a stature about him that does not take no for an answer and does not take an enemy's shout like Goliath as anything intimidating. He says, my God's will will, preve will prevail and that's it. And I'm here to serve it at whatever the cost. Jonadab 
was a Rechabite. He was a Gentile descendant, and he was a willing man. God wished for his children, for God's children, to have the degree of obedience that Jonadab's generations had for Jonadab's words. He said, I wish you would obey me like Jonadab's sons obey him. We are calling up a class of men like Jonadab in this house today. And for everyone who ever gets to listen to this message, know that in Remnant Church in Denton, Texas, we are raising up and calling out an entire generation of men like Jonadab who are at the ready and who will jump in the chariot just to see what God can do. That are not scared of anything. They're not... They're not contained in fear. They live in boldness. They're not living in entitlement. They have a full price kind of faith. They're not blame shifting. They're living in a sense of ownership. They're not looking for flattery. They demand honesty. They're not living in emotionalism. They live by way of diligence. They're not living in manipulation. They are unashamed of who God has called them to be. And they sure as hell do not live in perversion. Because they are living in the purity that comes from Christ. And this is what God's doing in this place. Y'all have an extended invitation to be a part of that. That's the mission that we're doing together. And I want to do it together with you the rest of our lives. Stand up with me. I believe that if we do this together, we won't fail. I know that for a fact I would fail without you men. If it were not for the brothers that God has given me in my life... I surely would fail. I have had so many characteristics that we talked about today that I've been stuck in in my life. But because of men who also love my God as much as or more than I love my God, they constantly take a hold of me and encourage me to the next place. And because of that, we're going to win together. Amen? Amen. Come on. Y'all pray with me. Jesus, Jesus, we want to be kings on this earth like how you were king over all of the cosmos. You were king and there is no one who competes with your authority, Yeshua. God, for the authority and for the land and for the homes and for the families and for the children and generations that you do give us, God, we're asking that by your Holy Spirit you would help us to be men like Jehu, men like David, men like Jonadab, who lead our families in such a way that we actually end up turning Israel to repentance towards you, God. God, that a Gentile man's name would be called out and said, how does this man's children follow him more than my children follow me? Jesus, let in this house of both Jew and Gentile in the years to come, let this community of people be a community that you can point to, God, among your people, Israel, and say, if these people in all of their differences and in all of the evil places that they've come from can be like this, then Israel, return to me. God, we know that if we step up in our, in our manhood today and we do not live lives like that of Ahab, but we live lives like David and Jehu and like 
And like Jonadab, Lord, that I know for a fact that together we will accomplish the works that you give us to do in the short lives that we have. God, just as it was prophesied this morning, we respond to that urgency this morning. And Lord, we will not wait another day to walk out the things that you have moved on our hearts today. Today we make the decision as men of diligence and men of kingly stature and say that we will not be held back not by the things of this world and surely not by the wickedness that seems to still abide in our flesh. We cast it out in your name, Jesus, today. And we say we are coming after you, Lord. We want to glorify you with all of our lives, God. We love you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.